Hey, TABC family, welcome back to the podcast. We're glad to have you with us as we seek to go deeper into Sunday's teaching and ask the questions that will help us live out God's word in our daily lives. That's why we do this podcast, to equip the followers of Jesus here at 12th to grow in obedience and affection for him every day. Our hope is that at 12th, we would be a biblical community of kingdom people who are joining God in the restoration of all things, one person, one place at a time. And our desire is that our time together today equips you to do just that. Thanks for being with us. Let's jump in. Hey, everybody. It is Garen and Jordan back with another wrap-up. We are so sad that we had to uh, miss last week. But it was kind of a busy one for both of us. Yeah, busy. And Garen, Nehemiah was an honest guy. You can be honest with us. How, how's the last week been for you? And how'd you feel coming into this message? And how are you doing now? Yeah, just, uh, you know, we had Faith's funeral and she's been a friend of ours since the mid-90s. And just walking with her through all that was tough. I mean, she's been not doing well since like February. And so funerals are not easy. So it was a tough week, very tiring. And it was hard to give Nehemiah the time that I really wanted to. But it's so good that you can, uh, it's just so rich that there's still great stuff there. Not that I slacked on it, but it was just a really, yeah, it was not an easy week. So, and then when you have a holiday at the beginning too, yeah, it made it a really crammed week with not a lot of time. So, but yeah, yeah tough to, to lose somebody that you care about. And I know a lot of people, who've been around 12 for a long time. I think a lot of them were more influenced by faith. I've heard a lot of people talk about that. Even yesterday, some people grabbed me and told me about how she influenced them. So yeah, just tough losing a friend. And, yeah, it is hard. Uh, on but, the yeah. upside, which is probably what you're going to say, is I wasn't at her memorial. I was out of town, but the things that I've heard are yeah. just like, we are so glad she's with Jesus yes. and the way that she even designed that service yeah. to be a, a one last like, um, evangelism opportunity for yeah. anybody in the room is just so cool. Yeah. And then at service, you mentioned the the gospel tracks that were taken from yeah. that event. So yeah. very God glorifying, very yes. cool. Yep. Yep. Glad. I mean, yeah, she's in the presence of her father and yeah, she designed that whole thing well. And it was an honor to do and a chance to share the gospel. That's what funerals are. They're like today, there's an opportunity to act, right? You may not like doing them because you don't like doing things related to that, but it's, it's a chance for God to open doors and work. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, Hey, we're ready to jump into Nehemiah two. And, uh, this has been really fun. I hope that you're enjoying it as much as oh, we're yes. enjoying it. Oh, um, yes. I'm so, you seem to be enjoying it up there. Yes. I've never seen you give a begrudging sermon, so I don't know what that would look like, but you really seem to be enjoying Nehemiah as we go through it. So, uh, we're talking about this character, Nehemiah. He's this cupbearer for this King of Babylon. He's in this trusted position. Um, he's this man of God who trusts God. And that's really at the center of chapter two, verses one through 10, right? Yeah. It's that, that Nehemiah was a man of great faith, that he trusted God. He depended fully on him. And that's really where your message took us, yep. was to show yep. from the text how yeah. that was yeah. true. The in five things ways. that exhibited that, the five different ways that he showed that. Yep. Yeah. You, you started with something that was really interesting, and I love when you do this, you kind of gave us some context on who Nehemiah was. You humanized him a little bit and you just helped us to see life from his perspective a little. Um, you know, it, it says that he's the cupbearer. He says that at the end of chapter one. And it's it's such a weird, I don't know if we talked about it last time or not, but 
He just sticks it in there at the very end. Yeah, just, so he odd. just sticks it in. Just He's like, oh, by the way, I was yeah. the cupbearer. Yeah. And, but when you realize what that meant in that context, it was actually really significant. Yeah. When I first encountered this story, I thought that job, he was like a little squirrely guy. And all you do is, you know, the king's like, you know, come here, I want my wine. Like and, you know, a, he kind of- Like a little he, court jester. Yeah, he kind of patters in like court, you know, he holds it out and the guy takes it and he's out of the room. Yeah, Looney Tunes were really formative for you as a kid, weren't they? Could you tell the Looney Tune, like, kind of like the that alien dude, like how he runs really fast. Marvin Marshall. Yeah, kind of like that. He kind of runs in, you know, and then that, and that's it. And I had no clue how significant that role was that, you know, like I shared yesterday that, uh, and we don't have to hit all of it, but it was so significant that he had the king's full trust, and there was a lot of responsibility in that. And his life was on the line every day, and you know. And then he was he was he was one of the few people that was around him a lot in that very intimate, you know, whether it's at the dinner table or whatever, and actually had a lot of influence. And I had no idea; I just thought it was this like super unimportant job. Yeah. Like waiter, you know, right. bring me some more, you know, chips or something. So you mentioned the weight of that job, that they were really the only thing between the king and death if there was an assassination that was going to happen. But then you also mentioned to me, as we were talking about today, just the idea that that was a position that took a long time to develop that trust. Yes. And you actually said you wanted to talk more about it yesterday, but you didn't have time. But talk a little bit more. What did you want to say yesterday about that? Because it's not like Nehemiah just, you know, wins a drawing and all of a sudden you're the cupbearer. I mean, there's years of prep that go into yeah. being able to be in this position. The, you know, every, the first day that he's taken that position, you know, don't you know the king's a little bit like, how do I know he's really for me, right? Mm-hmm. And every day that the king's actually drinking the wine or eating the stuff after him, that he's, that the king is just putting more and more trust in him and just the years and years that Nehemiah poured into showing him like that he's a man of integrity. You can trust me. Um, I'm not letting anything through to you. And how over the years, we just don't know how long, but my guess it was a while over the years, he had built up this amazing reservoir of trust that he needed when it, that opportunity came that if he hadn't had that, the king probably wouldn't have cared. And so just how much he had invested in that job, doing it well, and in that relationship, um, was just huge and was an important part of what happened in chapter oh, man. two. It was instrumental. And when you read between the lines of this relationship, you realize the amount of trust that's there because these are two guys from different worldviews, different cultures that worship different gods, yeah. different value systems, totally. Yeah. And yet this king seems to really not only trust this cupbearer, but like empathize with him yeah. and care about him. Yeah. So there's a lot going on in this relationship because yes. they don't tell us the pages. Yep. That must have happened before. And so it's just cool to think about how much, how much that relationship must have developed and how much time it must have taken. And um, yeah, just stuff that is not in the book, but you know was present in that yeah. relationship. And we're going to touch on that next week a little bit about how important it is for me as a restorer that I've got to build trust with the people I'm around. I just can't go around trying to fling my faith on everybody that you've got to, you've got to establish trust with people. Um, then how come, how is. come one of the requirements of 12 staff is we have to spend an hour at that intersection with the bullhorn? Why? why? Just, well, I'm trying, I, the, I did my yeah, shift this it's, morning. And it's, it's just trying to get that boldness in you, dude. Okay. Like, yeah. The boldness without trust. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. And the knocking on doors that we do uh, yeah. Yeah, every Wednesday we don't, go out. For, don't come back until you have five salvations. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay. Hey, let's talk about the five ways that, 
it's really demonstrated in verses one through 10 that Nehemiah was a great man of faith, that he trusted God and depended on him. The first was that Nehemiah had the faith to ask, right? And you might be just on the outside looking in of this, like, okay, he asked for something. Like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? But you unpack that culturally and just how dangerous and impossible that request yeah, really was. It was a big ask. Right? Because Nehemiah was asking for something that actually was not possible for the king to give. Yeah. Right? Because of this law of Medes and Persians, this idea that once the king decrees it or once it's decreed, like no one can overthrow it, not even him. Yeah. And so Nehemiah is asking the king to go against that. So when you realize the big uh, implications of this request, you're like, whoa, it took some guts yeah. to ask that. And the fact, again, that he knew that in that culture, you could not initiate conversation with the king. He had to initiate it, and it was his conversation. It wasn't yours. Yes. So it wasn't like, hey, let's today I want to talk about a few things. What yeah. do you want to talk about? It's you talked about what he wanted to talk about. Which is another flavor that's lost if we just come into this out in any context, because this is not two equals having a conversation. Yeah, not this at is all. very much the shoe and the bug. And like at any moment, they can come down and squish. Yeah. yeah. So, so that ask guts. was a big ask. Yeah. Guts displayed by Nehemiah. I was thinking about other places in the Bible that this law of Medes and Persians is. Uh, brought up Daniel, right? Lion's uh-huh. Den, same kind of thing. Yep. Where this is, this decree is made, it's signed, and then the king's heart is broken because he's got to throw Daniel in, but he can't. Is this, the, is that the same thing? Yeah. That, well, that's a Babylonian story, but that still in that culture, there was still even the idea that when a king made a rule like that, like it just, it's just stood, period. Uh-huh. So the Persians took it to a different level. Than the Babylonians, but it's still it's still essentially the same thing. Okay. And it's that way in Esther, because in Esther, he makes a law that we're gonna go, you can go kill a Jew, mm. yeah, yeah, a yeah. Jewish person on this day. And he's like, when she talks to him, he's like, I can't change that law, but what I'll do is I'll say the Jews can fight back. Yeah. And so he kind of added to it. So he wouldn't reverse even that law at Esther's, but this dude is willing to actually, yeah, he cares so much. God has worked in his heart. That's the first thing. God's grace has worked so hard, so much in his heart. And I think he cared so much about Nehemiah that he was willing to actually write letters that were the exact opposite of what the letter he had written. And the story of Esther happens in the same culture? Same culture, about 20, 30 years before. Right, just yeah, before Just Nehemiah. before, yeah. So we're going to get this in a sec, but when it talks about a queen being in the room, it, could that potentially be Esther? Or it's just Probably talking about not. the president of, yeah. now there's a woman presence. It's, and- it's either Esther's son or Esther's stepson. So he knew her. He was around her. He was okay. influenced by her. And he had seen, she was a woman of such high integrity and who influenced policy that his respect for a queen, I think, shot way up. Ah, okay. And so even if, I mean, we can hit the queen thing here because it kind of was an in-between sure. thing. Yeah. Yeah. That his, he, I think he came to see so much what, how, how valuable a queen could be. Because back Let's then- Let's talk about the they're verse. Just, they're just uh, eye candy, right? That's right. all they are. Let's talk about the verse that we're referring to here. There's a verse, and you probably remember the number. I don't, but it's a, it makes special mention that the queen was in the room uh-huh. with the king for this. And that's what we're talking about here, is that in this culture, that with Esther just happening a few decades before, that she has lifted this position, potentially. Yes. And that that her story touches this story in a really unique way. Yep. And that women, like you were just saying before I cut you off, is that women are no longer just eye candy or the most beautiful girl you can find. Yes. But that we're, they're valued for their wisdom. They're yes. brought in on decisions. Yes. They're present for things. Yep. yep. She changed the whole, and the, if that was, whether it was his mom or stepmom, he probably had such high respect for her and he knew she was Jewish because when she finally revealed it to her husband. And so he, he knew the story. He probably had, a, I didn't even mention this yesterday, but he had probably developed a heart and a compassion for the Jewish people because of 
mm. because of her presence. So mm. her influence, yeah, she proved herself to be a, a godly woman of wisdom and character. And, you know, culture tends to want to make women. That's why I brought that up a little bit. You know, we still have Me Too movement, all that, but culture just, it's so easy for women to just become all about beauty, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, isn't that where right. we drive? It, it's still that way on TV. And I I wanted to bring that out because I find that scripture elevates women so much. And Esther is very elevated. And I her footprint, I think, her fingerprints, her footprint is in this story. And that's why I think Nehemiah wrote that. Put that detail. Yeah. Because it didn't matter. He's just having a conversation with the king, but he says, and she just was sitting there. He put that there for a reason. Right. So. Um, you know, back when you taught Esther, we talked about how she didn't realize probably that her, that she was a part of the line of the eventual Messiah. She didn't realize her role in that, right? This is another thing where Esther probably didn't realize the impact she was having yes. on this kingdom. Yes. But then we see in Nehemiah like, whoa, Esther, you have really helped in a, in a huge way on Nehemiah's behalf because now this king's heart is softened towards God's people. There's a there's a queen in the room who's maybe lobbying for him. Right. Like, so it's just another testament to like, you may be in a situation and odds are you don't know how God is using you and how big your impact will be if you are committed to him and what he's doing and not after your own agenda. Yep, right. And not just in your generation because we all know the Esther story but that that goes on for more than one generation. And even she's just saving the Jewish people in her story. Who knew that she was having an impact that filtered down to where she's actually part of the restoration of the city. Mm -hmm. And the wall is like, that's so crazy. But So how does faith to ask apply to us? Because we're not facing a king who's going to kill us, right? So faith to ask, what does that mean to us? Yeah, I still think the the reality is, especially if we're, we're thinking, if like if I've got a parent who doesn't know Jesus or I've got a coworker, who tells me they're atheists, they've been burned by the church, they don't even want to talk about it. Um, that still is a big ask. Like, Lord, I want to be a part of them coming to know you and having a relationship, but they seem so far from you, so mm-hmm. antagonistic. Or my work tells me I can't talk about this stuff, that I still think we all find our places in big ass in things of like, God, you've got to change a heart. I can't do that. That's out of my control. And so it's not quite the same pressure level as this, but it's on a spiritual level. And I think when we're dealing with souls, in some ways, that's even a bigger question, hmm. a bigger ask. So okay. I think we're all having big asks. If we're in the game and we want people to know Jesus and we want to be a restorer, again, it's not just spiritual. I'm willing to, to help them emotionally, physically, wherever they are, um, in relational things to bring the shalom of God. But we ultimately want all people to know Jesus, right? That's the centerpiece of his restoration. And those, they're just big ass because I can't change a human heart. Okay. Yep, well said. Second thing is that Nehemiah had the faith to wait. So not just to ask, but to wait. We know that his first request to God in this, this whole thing is kind of kicked off in the month of, the Jewish month of Kislev. And then you talk about Nisan is when this thing really comes to fruition. So that's four months on our calendar. Um, where he's praying and waiting every day, right? That same prayer from Nehemiah chapter one. And you talked about how being a restorer is, it's a praying faith, but it's also a waiting faith. Yeah. And how it's not just asking God for opportunities, but it's having the perseverance to wait in that and not lose heart and not give up on it. And you revealed that this is the, you know, at the end you talk about which of these five is hard. And you said that was the hardest for you. I think it's one of the two that's hardest for me. I think most people say the waiting is really yeah. tough. Yes. So what would you say 
to somebody who needs a little encouragement, who's been praying for their parents to know Jesus or for this friend or waiting for God to, to move in some way and they're just not seeing it, what can you say to them that's going to uh, strengthen, strengthen that ability to hold out and to wait for the goodness of God? Yeah, that I, that's part of the reason I, to, I mentioned my story with my parents because that was in over 30 years of praying. And I just wanted people out there to know God can do anything with anybody. I, I said a little more on staff. I'll just add a little bit more because I had come to the point, it was in May of 29, 2009 maybe, but I was like, God, I prayed so much for them to know you. Nothing's happening. There's no zero movement. And it's just a burden, and I just rather not think about it. I'll just deny it. I'll just shove it offside, and I'm done praying for them coming to know you. And the day next day, or the, that day later, or the day, next day, I read that Evil Knievel had placed his faith in Jesus, had this amazing conversion experience, and I read his testimony. As I'm reading the story, he was born the same year my mother was, and he had just come to Christ like a few weeks before or something. And I'm like, he was born the same year as my mom. He, he just came to faith. I'm like, so I feel like God gave that to me. He brought that into my attention. I'm like, okay, I'm doubling down. I'm going to keep praying for them. And then a month later, my mom calls the pastor of the church where I went, who had been my youth pastor. And she says, I need you to come over to the house. He came over and she goes, I, I don't know Jesus. I don't know where my soul is going. I want to talk to somebody. And she gave her life to Christ with him. And that was just a month after that. But I was ready to give up, dude. Mm. I was like, I'm done waiting and persevering in prayer because it's it, the burden's too heavy. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that'll happen to everybody, right? But just the idea that that's what Nehemiah did is he he was willing to just keep praying the prayer. Lord, today, can you make it happen today? And how many todays did it not happen? Right. So, but he hung in there. You talk about the waiting through unanswered prayer, like in that story, but there's also a waiting of you know, God, I've got this neighbor who doesn't know mm-hmm. you and I'm waiting for you to initiate a conversation. Yes. I'm waiting for yes. something to happen. Like with Mel's story for the water to get turned off, right? Like I'm waiting for something to happen so that you can bring us together, can open a door to them knowing you. So that's all well and good. I think we'd all agree that God uses that. Does that mean that I should not be on the offensive ever, that I should never be going over and just sharing the gospel with somebody or like, I don't start the conversation. Like, should I always be waiting for God to do that? Because it sounds very passive to me, yeah. but it, I don't know. Is that's that what a, I should be doing? That's a great question. Because it can, you can get to where you're super passive and you're like, I'm only going to do something if the way is paved. And even as I was thinking about this last week, I thought somebody could take that a little too far. Because if you, as we go through Nehemiah, he was not that kind of a guy. His situation, he had to wait for the king to initiate. But to answer that, I think... I'm actually going to talk about that a little bit this week. I'm actually going to give people a tool of a way to approach people that can help them perhaps open a door, um, a tool that I think will be really helpful. But yeah, there's times I've, I have found I feel, felt like I needed to initiate, but it tended to be with people that I knew. And I'd, I'd been around them long enough. I'm like, I feel like something's going on. I feel like there's an interest there. And I'm going to ask the question, or I had a leading of the spirit to speak to them and lean to that. So I, I do, sometimes I do need to take the initiative and that sometimes will show you. But to me, it's, if it's, if it's done in that relationship of trust, like he had, then people won't like be offended by it or be like, okay, I'm done with you. Cause they know you're hard enough. They, but that's, yeah, there's times I do feel like I need to take the initiative, but I'm going to have a tool that I think is really helpful. So you're going to give us a tool. It sounds like you're also asking us to remain humble to what the spirit might be leading you to sounds like you're also asking us to just be wise in that. Yes. Um, do I have the relational equity with this person to yep. push them on this or to bring this up? Do I not? 
So just being wise and being humble and being attentive to the spirit, I think are all good tools is kind of yeah. what you're telling us. And it's part of there. the tension. We'll get to it again. That 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 prayer preparation or that faith action tension of like, I've been praying for this person. Is this a time for me to initiate the conversation or for me to say something? And that takes a lot of wisdom. Cause if you follow, we'll talk about it. If you fall to one side or the other, you can kind of mess things up. So well, that kind of leads us into our third one that Nehemiah had the faith to act. And here you talked about having the faith to step in. When you see God open the door a little bit, that we've got to have the the faith to step into that and to not just say, well, I'll take the next pitch. You know, um, you, you had a, a quote that I never heard, but I really liked that big doors swing on small hinges, uh-huh. meaning that God does big things oftentimes with just like really small moments. Crack in the door. Right. Just cracks open. So just a small comment is made. Uh-huh. Yes. Or a small coincidence that you yes. capitalize on. Or So in other words, there's not going to be like a light from heaven and the crowd will right. separate and it'll be you and this yeah. person. Oh. And a voice from heaven will say, now share the gospel. Right. Yeah. Like oftentimes it's going to take a little more investigative work on your uh-huh. part and having a really keen eye and ear yep. to God. Are you cracking the door just yeah. a tiny bit? And can I just take a small step and see if that door opens yes. a little more? Yes. Am I missing anything That's exactly, in that? yes. That's what the quote was. To me, that's what this was. He just says, hey, dude, you look a little sad today. He didn't even ask him what's going on. Yeah. I mean, he just, but Nehemiah is like, there's, that's that little crack. That's the opening that I've been waiting for. I'm going to walk through it. So yes, that looking for those little things. And what I love about his story, Jordan, I'm going to tell a story Sunday that you've heard. And I might've shared with the church of a little crack I got a few months ago. Uh, a little, little opening. And I had this brief moment of fear of like, if I push into that, they're going to think. And that's what I love about his story. Cause he's like, I was afraid. So I prayed and then he spoke. So he, he was even afraid to walk into that, but he still did it. And so, yeah, that's so, yep. It's taken those little opportunities. Cause most of the time that is what it is. Yeah. Let's talk about that moment too. Uh, the, the, the actual verse eludes me, but it's the moment where Nehemiah comes into the throne room with a long face and which first of all is illegal. Yeah. And that context was so interesting to me that if you come into the the throne room with anything but a smile on your yeah, face, it's like thrown in jail. You're done. Right. So that was interesting. Um, but just that this is the moment where the door kind of gets cracked a little bit and the king makes that comment, hey, you look sad today and I know you're not sick. So what's going on? Yeah. And just all the context that surrounded that was so interesting to me. Um, the fact that his, that could have been his life taken from him right yes. there. Right. But instead he turns it around and uses an opportunity to take a, like make another risk, like take another big risk. Yes. Like <laughs> I just rolled the dice and lived by having a long face. Let's roll the dice again and see yeah. if this guy will bankroll my city's yeah. reconstruction. Which what I love about Nehemiah is he's willing to step into those small things because he's, he's trusting God's going to be at work. And so he's yeah. looking for him. And as soon as they appear, he's like, I'm scared to death, but I'm going to walk through that. Right. Which is what allows him to capitalize on those things is his trust that God really is in it. Yeah. And is the author of this whole thing. Yes. Because if his trust was in himself, he would probably never pull the trigger. Right. You yes. Know? And maybe yes. that's what keeps us from pulling the trigger in those situations too. Maybe it's, we're leaning a little too much on what I think I can do in this situation. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough mm-hmm. of, okay, Holy Spirit, I'm going to leap and wait for the net and I'm going to trust you. Yes. And if you're not present, we're going to fail here. But if you are, then it's going to go well. I think my tendency is to lean on my own self too much. Yeah. And maybe that's why I don't pull the trigger enough in these situations. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's true for somebody else. I think that's all of us. That is 
yeah, how it can be. Hey, number four, moving on. So that was faith to act. Number four is that Nehemiah had the faith to prepare. This is a really interesting one to me because you talk about this juxtaposition, this balancing beam, this high tight wire of on one side, it's preparing for when God will have something for me. And on the other side, um, what was it? Just having faith it's that just, God is going to take care of it. Yeah, it's that I'm de- utterly dependent on Him. It's right. all it's all Him, and the other side is all me. So talk us yeah. through, Garrett. How am I fully dependent on God and yet fully preparing? Because it, I feel like those can't exist together. So talk me through that. Yeah. So to me, what it was, we don't see. It, he didn't write a chapter on it, but he was praying day and night. His first thing was prayer. Right in chapter one, we saw it again. The arrow prayer in this chapter. So we know that prayer is his first thing. But when he gives those answers, you know the dude's been doing research. Okay, who owns, who runs the forest, the, the official forest in Lebanon? And, and what do I need to do? That he's been doing all this research. So he's doing both simultaneously so that when the opportunity comes, he's ready for it. And I just, I just find some, you, you tend to have two streams. You have a lot of Christians, probably most of us in the West. We're all about preparation and I'm all about action and I'm doing things and prayers last. But then we all know people who are like, they're just all the faith and they'll tell you, hey, what, you prep for a sermon? No, you just stand up on Sunday and God's spirit will give you what to say, right? And and you'll hear that. I've heard that. And they're even, I've, I heard it about six months ago. Somebody's like, you know, why why prepare? You just, you just stand up there and God will speak to you kind of thing. And that's that idea that no preparation is true faith. And if you prepare, that's not faith at all. And that's why I thought this was so significant is, He's a man of great faith, and part of his faith is that he's willing to prepare. Because preparation says, God, I think you're going to answer my prayer, and you're going to act, and I'm going to be ready for it. And in these four months of waiting, he's not just twiddling his thumbs, but he's saying, God, I'm trusting that you're going to give me the at-bat, and so I'm going to do everything I can to hit a home run at that yes. moment, right? Yeah. So it's like it's like the, the role player in the dugout, right? If he knows he's going to pinch it at some point. He's not never going to the batting cage. He's not never watching film. He's doing all those yes. things because he yes. knows when his time yes. comes, he's got to be yes. ready for it. Exactly. And that's what Nehemiah did here, right? Yep. Like you said, doing the research. Who yeah. owns this forest? How many letters of permission yes. will I need? Uh-huh. What's who this guy's I, name? Yeah. What's his name? Who do I need to get it to? Yeah. So. All of that stuff. It's like, I mean, we got to bring Tolkien in this. Right? It's like Gandalf when he goes in the first movie and he's doing all that research and all those dusty books to find out about the one ring, right? Yeah, right. It's like every day after work, Nehemiah, he's not going home. He's going to the King's library first. He's doing all this research, all this stuff. Like, who are the people? What do I need to do? And truthfully, if Nehemiah never thought that God would give him a shot, he wouldn't do all this work. No, he wouldn't. So it's actually a huge act of faith yes. to do it's this It's a huge act of faith to do preparation. Because otherwise you're just spinning your wheels. You're yes. just wasting time. Yes. Huh, that's yeah. a cool way to So that's kind of, right. So that's why to me, that was a demonstration of faith is that he actually would prepare. So when you hear somebody say, oh, doing stuff, planning, like that's not of God. That's a lack of faith. Yeah, It can be if that's all I do. And my prayer is, is hardly anything, but both belong together. Right. So I can trust God and I can keep my powder dry yeah, for the battle. Right. They're not mutually exclusive. And then you shared this. You said the presence of faith does not mean the absence of preparation. Yeah. That those things are not mutually exclusive. We can't have you know, just one and exclude the other. It's kind of like two sides of the same coin, yeah, right? Yep, exactly. Cool. Talk about that prayer and preparation balance a little bit though, Garen, because at some point, you know, I'm a control freak. Um, my tendency is to want to do things and take them out of God's hands and put them on my own. So talk about preparing is a good thing, but when is it too much? You know, like I can feel myself preparing too much and trying to control too much. Uh-huh. 
And in those moments, taking it out of God's hands. So how do I prepare, but like be wary of, okay, am I trying to do too much? And, and where's that line between I'm no longer trusting God. I'm now trying to do it myself. Is that clear? Like, yeah, it's clear and it's not clear. Cause I don't, I know my struggle is I'm heavy on the prep side. I think if it's like, I'm given a one minute, I'm just giving it a quick prayer in the morning. God help me help this thing to work. And then I'm putting eight hours in it. That, that that's that's kind of whacked. If my first response is the action instead of the prayer, that's not right because Nehemiah was always a prayer first guy. We're going to see that all through the book. Um, well, th- back when he asked the king, he yeah, was a prayer he, first guy. Yeah, she right? shot the arrow the prayer, king the says, flare hey, prayer. What's wrong with what's wrong? And even before he responds, yeah, prayer, quick yes. prayer. So that's his first response. So to me, that's is it is my first response to a situation prayer? Is it I'm going to take care of it? And it's so hard. For, I always want to take care of it right away. And so that's why I struggle with that tension. I don't know exactly what it looks like to be perfectly balanced. I don't, it's not like you got to pray for four hours and prep for four hours. It's not that. Um, but I think, you know, in your spirit, I can tell when I'm taking full responsibility for it because your spirit gets messed up because then it doesn't work right or things aren't happening in your time frame, and you get agitated. And to me, that's a sign, okay, I'm not waiting like Nehemiah did. So I'm not depending on God like I should, and, but that's hard. And those are moments to lean on the Holy Spirit too, right? Like, Father, I know that if I am out of whack as far as this prayer and prep thing, I know your Spirit's going to convict me in some way. Yeah. Not even, maybe convict's not the right word, but something's going to feel off. Yeah. Because I'm not in tune with Him yeah. like I should yes. be. Yes, yes. And that's the beauty of the Holy Spirit. It's not just this idea on paper. It's a real living being that is inside of us. And it's this thermostat to keep us perfectly set to His temperature, right? Yeah. And when we get off, He's going to show it to yeah. us in our spirit. And so that's why, you know, even the week before the diagram of drinking from that well, being in prayer and the word and being in t- attuned with the spirit is so important. So he can, when I do get off too much on the prep side and away from the faith prayer side, that I'm responsive to him and he can do that. So I think, again, the re- first things first, the first chapter, if I'm walking with him well, the spirit has more access to my heart. I'm more able to hear him to be like, you know, you're getting a little out of balance here because we all struggle with it. So, okay. All right. Last thing is we kind of wrap up here. Nehemiah had the faith to enter the storm. He knew that beginning this journey back to Jerusalem and this undertaking was going to result in people coming against him. We see that because he's getting these letters of, of, uh, of authority um, from the King in preparation for people that we know will come against him. So he can give it over and say, I know you're trying to shut me down, but here's what the King says. So he knows it's going to be a long journey. Yep. There's going to be a lot of enemies yes. coming out of the woodwork to yep. stop him. Yep. Um, so what's kind of the application here for us that we, that we can take? Is it that, is it that no matter what we do, there's never going to be a hundred percent applause for us? Never, there's yes. always going to be people yeah. there. Anytime you try to act as a store, you are, you're trying to set captives free from the realm of Satan and he's not happy and he will take notice. He will rise up. He will come against you. It may be through people. It may not be. But you will get his opposition and you likely will get opposition of people because you're, you know, I've defined before the, de- the definition of influence of leadership I love is influence. And maybe somebody might be like, I don't feel like I'm a leader, but you have influence. And one of the things they say about leaders is when you're leading in anything, there is always going to be somebody who doesn't like it and who's going to work against it. And so I think Nehemiah knew that. And I, I wanted us to know that. And we're going to see it. The opposition is going to ramp up. This, we're going to look at it a couple of times, but just to know the reality is when I'm turning the world right side up with God, 
the people on top who are going upside down, they're not going to like it. Mm-hmm. And they have a stake in things being broken because they're benefiting from it. And so just the reality that that there's something's going to happen that's going to come against me. So be ready and be willing to enter that storm. That's part of the trusting God is I'm going to walk into that, even though I know it's going to hurt and it's going to be hard. So, yeah. Okay. So to, to kind of recap quickly, Nehemiah had the faith to ask, to wait, to act, to prepare and to enter the storm. And then you ended yesterday by asking us what were two we need to work on. I know you mentioned waiting for you. I would say waiting is one for me and then preparing is the other one. Um, you know, once I get into preparation, it's good, but on its face, it's like, man, I don't want to, I don't want to prep. I just want to go do the thing. And so it's a real discipline for me to be prepared so that when God's spirit moves, I'm ready and everything's in its place and I can kind of meet him in that spot. And I'm not, you know, scrambling to get, to get my ducks in a row. So yeah, I'd say for me, it's, it's prep and waiting. And I know you said it was waiting for you. I feel like waiting is probably the main one for everybody. Would you say? I, I, my guess is it's probably 90. When I said that yesterday, I could hear like, you could hear the rumbling, not rumblings, but you could hear like a lot of people like, yeah, that one's, yeah, that one's tough for me. Because waiting is just not a part of our culture, really. Not at all. We're a microwave. And when it is, we, culture. we uh, hate it. Yeah. You know? It's never leading to anything good in our eyes. So waiting is a hard one. So I think the message here is from these first 10 verses that Nehemiah's faith was great. He trusted God. He depended on him. And so we can look to him as an example of that. And uh, I found these verses... It was a good mix. It was a narrative where there was lots to dig into, but it was also really challenging and took took some. It gave me some things to really think through. So. Yeah, it's rich. It's a rich book. And then next week, second part of chapter two. Is that right? We're gonna actually take the whole chapter. It is so rich. There's still some stuff I left unsaid, even oh. in the first ten verses. Whoa! And bonus yeah. content. So some bonus content, man. So okay. see, I'm getting better. I'm learning to split my sermons up instead of doing. Two sermons in one. Um, I know it still feels like that. but And we thank you for it, Garen, because we can breathe out there. There wasn't smoke coming from my notepad trying to write furiously. So, Okay. Hey, that's Nehemiah 2, verses 1 through 10. Hope it was useful to you. Um, Garen, you mentioned Marvin Martian earlier, so we'll go out with, with Porky Pig. Ba-dee, ba-dee, ba-dee. Yeah, ba-dee, ba-dee. That's all, folks. That's all, folks. <laughs>